there was a time when darkness fell on WCW. When one man was abandoned, banished, and another came to rule. Then, good and evil clashed. The darkness was lifted, and WCW became one once again. Now, the battle continues. Out of an army of shadows, the purveyor of good enters the ring once again. To vindicate a wrong that must be right. A man with hatred in his heart seeks to destroy this vindicator from the sky. But can he do so without ruining all that surrounds him? Championship, but there are a lot of questions surrounding the NWO, surrounding one man by the name of the Macho Man Randy Savage, who is in the building tonight in a no disqualification match as well against Lex Luger. Tony, in my mind, Super Brawl is going to answer so many questions that we've had regarding both WCW and the NWO. What role will the Macho Man Randy Savage play tonight at Super Brawl? Scheduled for a no disqualification matchup with Lex Luger, and who will assume the power position? World Championship Wrestling or the New World Order? We finally crown a World's Heavyweight Champion tonight. Thursday night on Thunderbrain, it was very clear that the Macho Man and Luger were discussing things in the parking lot, and that led to quite a fight from the NWO. Well, we don't know if they were dis what they were really discussing or how long they were out there talking, but tonight, Hogan has a lot more to lose than Sting. Hogan does not want to go back to that dressing room without the gold and face the members of the NWO. This is a must-win for Hogan tonight, and Sting doesn't want to disappoint, not any of his fans. Unquestionably, this is the biggest rematch our sport has ever seen. Not only is it Sting and Hollywood Hogan, the two biggest stars, it's NWO and WCW. It is all on the line here tonight. One of five title matches, as a matter of fact, as we go to David Pinter for our first bout. Ladies and gentlemen, Super Brawley, live from San Francisco, begins with the first of two matches for the WCW World Television Championship. The winner of this one ball contest will defend the title tonight against Saturn. Introducing first, the former WCW World Television Champion from 110th Street in Harlem, New York, Booker T. Hello again and welcome to another episode of the Retro Wrestling Podcast. I'm intern Alex, joined as always by... The one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. And Patrick, here we are. The second week of August is already upon us. What do you have from the news desk, sir? Well, we basically have AEW. Uh, AEW, the shocker, 
number one that come out was Eric Bischoff walking out on AEW Wednesday night, and he was a part of the debate with Orange Cassidy and Chris Jericho. And I was shocked. I was I actually popped for it myself. So I was really excited. Uh, I'm assuming this was a one off. If it wasn't, uh, even better. Yeah, no matter what you think of Eric Bischoff creatively or or what he does to companies behind the scenes, he's always been a great on-screen character, and I thought he was a great choice for that debate between two very unique characters and Chris Jericho and Orange Cassidy, and the whole segment was very good. AEW had a very good show on Wednesday night, did uh, nearly 900,000 viewers, if I'm correct, which is their highest rating since February, so... AW putting on a superior product on Wednesday night. I even loved this. You know, they kind of teased it. Jericho's like, you know, I I haven't liked you for 22 years, and Bischoff comes back. He's like, it's been 24, and I just I was, uh, it was just it was done so well. And you said there were some injuries on uh, AW Dynamite as well. Yeah, uh, member of FTR. It looks like he may have messed up his uh, ankle or knee. He was in the middle of the four-way uh, eight-man tag and uh, against the Dark Order. I don't know what may have happened there. It didn't look like anything went wrong, but he fell down, grasped his leg, rolled to the corner of the apron, and he was out for the rest of the match. And doctors rushed to him ringside, so uh, not good because FTR, man, they showed up. They've been, you know, hot there for, you know, a, a hot minute on AEW. Not to mention the um, the fact that they're getting ready to do the FTR Memorial Night or whatever you call it uh, this coming Wednesday to kick off the tag team tournament, which I think is going to be pretty cool. They're going to have. Uh, the Rock and Roll Express there as well. So kind of, you know, a nod to tag teams. And so, yeah, it's going to be weird to have, if you have him injured, uh, how are you, how is he going to be able to host this whole thing Wednesday night? So, but uh, you had Matt Hardy. Uh, Matt Hardy and Sammy Guevara doing their thing. Uh, Guevara jumped him in the ring. Anyway, Matt ended up, Splitting his head wide open. It, I think it took 13 or 14 stitches to close it. Uh, it, <laughs> it was a nasty gash. It was a very nasty gash. So, um, just a night of injuries. Uh, it looked yeah, it looked like. like he did it the hard way, too. Yeah, it was. He threw that chair from, the, from what I could take uh, from it. Sammy Guevara threw the chair at him. And I think... Uh, Maybe one of the the hinges because he threw it at it with it open may have you know got, he grabbed him just enough to slice his you know the side of his head open. But it was it was nasty, man. It was nasty. And then that four fifty from the from the uh, the staging onto the you know mat with on the table. It was it was a good little segment. I just think all around AEW is putting out a better product. And all the way to the shocking um, announcement that Vicky Guerrero has signed a full-term contract with them. So we're going to be seeing Vicky on AEW for quite a while. Uh, Not to mention also the fact that 
I, I don't know if we talked about it. We may have skipped over it by mistake, but uh, the formerly known uh, Zack Ryder is now a member of AEW, and he showed up about a week and a half ago. So they're they're getting the climb. Yeah, Matt and Matt Cardona, his real yeah. name. Yeah, so they're getting the climb. Everything's, you know, it seems to be going well. And I'm fully on board with AEW. I think they're putting out, like I said, a much better product. Yeah, also in AEW this week, they uh, started their female tag team tournament. And they also launched a fan club for if you're a fan of the females in their promotion. Uh, The thing I think is weird about it, though, is they're charging $50 if you want to join this fan club so don't know how well that's gonna go i I think fan clubs are something that are left in the 80s and early 90s no one's gonna pay to to do that but we'll see we'll see how that that works out for them but uh, i'm i'm a little critical of that you know uh charging people to extra for fan clubs or or whatever um how about just uh promoting them, putting on good matches, and putting them high up on the show. That that makes fans, not joining a fan club. They're, they're kind of throwing stuff at the wall themselves to see what sticks, other than in you know doing in-ring product, which is still okay, I think. Uh, do you have anything else from the news desk this week? No, that's about it. Oh, you wanted to wish happy birthday to a wrestler, oh, I thought. Yes, yes. Uh, I'm glad you reminded me. Happy 78th birthday to the legendary Boogie Woogie man, Jimmy Valiant. Um, Reached out to him, heard back from him. Uh, Just want to wish him the best of luck. He still does some in-ring stuff periodically, so that's even remarkable at 78. Uh, I, growing up as a young kid, I was a big fan of the Boogie Woogie man. And uh, just, I think we covered... him versus Paul Jones, I think, at a Great American Bash. And you said yourself that that was just the sell job of the of the night when he got his head shaved. And that was just, it was so, it's so cool. Uh, I kind of, I like I said, man, I, I love the Boogie Woogie Man. I love Jimmy Valiant and the character. And so, yeah, no, happy 78th birthday to Jimmy Valiant. And we wish him many, many more. Uh, I have never gotten a chance to meet this man in person. Uh, I intend to at some point in time, if I have to fly halfway across the world, whatever it takes to uh, to get a chance just to, to pick his brain uh, and to be able to learn uh, from him to some degree. So, yeah, no, happy birthday to him. Okay, well, it was my pick for this week, and I chose to do a WCW pay-per-view from February of 1998, February 22nd of 1998, which I chose this one because it was a week after WWF No Way Out of Texas in your house, which is the one that I reviewed by myself a couple weeks ago. And just because of how bad that pay-per-view was, I was curious as to what WCW did in February, and I looked at the card and I said, oh, that's a much better show. And so that's why I wanted to do this one. Uh, This is from the Cow Palace in San Francisco, California, in front of 12,620 WCW slash NWO fans. 
Uh, a match was scheduled between Larry Zbysko and Louis Spicoli. However, Spicoli passed away the week leading up to this, or the week before that, I think. So, uh, if you notice, Chris Jericho has a black armband on during the start of his match, and I think that was a, a nod to Louis Spicoli, who he probably ran into in his uh, ECW days and probably had uh, a lot of respect for Louis as far as uh, his charisma. They ha- they have a lot of similarities, those two, as far as uh, their their gift on the microphone and their, their uh, similar comedy kind of stylings. Definitely different wrestlers and uh, obviously different outcomes in their lives and careers as uh, Louis Spicoli was heavily, heavily addicted to somas and overdose. But uh, the black armband on Jericho, if you're wondering, I think that's what it was all about tonight. Uh, But this was a a pretty good card, and it features the rematch between Sting and Hogan, which you would have thought they would have went back to in January, but... As I mentioned, Hogan usually takes January off, so uh, why not? Let's uh, wait until February for the rematch. Christmas, brother. Yeah, you got to take Christmas and New Year's, and uh, he's not going to work January. And even if he did, his contract gets him a cut of the gate, so you save money when he doesn't work, and when he does work, uh, Hmm. you lose money. So you lose money either way with Hulk Hogan. It's how much money would you like to lose tonight? Uh, This pay-per-view, though... Um, lived up to its WCW tradition of having a pretty good undercard in a uh, so-so main event. And uh, so we start out with the recap. Out of an army of shadows, a purveyor of good enters the ring again. It's almost word for word the same intro as Starcade 97 here uh, for Sting, who is taking WCW on his shoulders again and is going to battle Hogan for the vacated world title as this dumbass company vacated its own title belt following a normal count from i don't know everyone knows the ending to starcade 97 was a complete clusterfuck so uh they vacated the title to make hogan happy and uh they held it up from december until now so they hadn't had a world champion and they're finally going to tonight well we'll see if if they do I wouldn't be surprised if WCW pulled some shenanigans and still didn't have a title holder at the end of the night. But the real question going into this is not Hogan and Sting. Forget about that two-year build. Instead, worry about Macho Man turning on Hogan and the NWO. There's been some dissension within the NWO as the cracks are starting to form in the black and white NWO, which would at least lead to the splintering off of the wolf pack and the black and white down the road. But this is kind of the start of that as Macho Man is... Oh, yeah. I don't need the holster. The mega powers had exploded, you know, uh, about seven or eight years before. Well, a decade before. So, uh, yeah, uh, Macho Man and Hogan, battle of egos, battle for control. And then WCW's version of the Mega Powers, two, uh, just about a year and a half before, so. Right, and I mean, Hogan did deliver the leg drop to him to to start the NWO, so Macho Man is sort of like Sting in that he keeps trusting this guy and always has a falling out with him in the end. They just can't get along, and in real life, they were at each other's throats anyway, and so this is probably... Just Macho Man saying, I don't want to work with Hogan, brother. Uh, So, 
Brother, brother. Today, Tony and Bobby will have the call from the Cow Palace in San Francisco. Tony and Tanae look so stupid because they have sport coats on, but they don't have any ties. At least Bobby threw on a bow tie. If you're going to wear a suit jacket, then wear a tie. You look so weird without it. Unless you're... You know, unless you're going for a look of some sort, but they're not going for a look. They have like button ups on. Like if you're, if you're Jerry the King Lawler, who I also I think it looks ridiculous when he wears a sport coat and an Affliction T-shirt underneath it. But uh, just the state of these guys' fashion sense. But I mean, they are wrestling commentators, so um, I have to I have to make a confession. I wear a button down with a sport coat and without a tie. Just saying, I have done it in the past. So Macho Man has a match with Lex Luger, but he, he was chatting with Lex in the parking lot on Thunder, so the NWO thinks he's up to shenanigans. NWO and WCW tonight between Sting and Hogan, it's all on the line. Forget all the other matches between the NWO and WCW. It's really just one match. Five title matches tonight, actually six, because the TV title would be defended twice. The opening match, Booker T's music hits to a big response. Man, the crowd loved this guy, and they loved this raising the roof. This was a road warrior pop. This They went ballistic for Booker T right out of the gate. Oh, Booker T's got awesome theme music, and he was actually... They really missed the boat on 1998 Booker T as far as... Yes. This guy could have been a world champion. I know they eventually got there in 2000, but he was in his prime here, and he looked... The best, I, mean, I think he, this is the best he looked in his entire career. He was still very mobile. He could do the Harlem Hangover and all that stuff. He he had the raise the roof thing for the crowd. The crowd just loved everything this guy did, and so they went nuts for him here in San Francisco. And he's going to face the TV champion Rick the Not Model Martell, who's in tremendous shape at the age of forty-two. Is in even better shape than he was. In the WWF, which he was no slouch in the WWF, his, but his run with Shawn Michaels over Sherry Martel just uh, was three years before this, three four years before this. Um, he's in better shape for this match than he was then. I mean, he he's <laughs> seriously, he is looking fantastic. He could have made a run with Hogan. He's looking that well. They had big plans for him because he was booked to win this match, as we'll find out later that they had to uh, do some altering of the plans. But he had had some impressive TV matches. And for me, a guy who didn't watch mid-90s WWF and uh, from early 90s, I just vaguely remembered the big stars like Hogan and, and Macho Man and Ultimate Warrior, Big Boss Man, guys that had like the wrestling buddy action, not action figures, but pillows, you know, guys that were visible. So I didn't really remember Rick the Model Martel. So to me, he was a brand new character. And I thought he was having great matches on TV. And I was really into him because he was actually working as a baby face, even though he acted kind of heelish tonight and he has a heelish theme song, but he's not doing the model stuff. He's baby face Rick Martel. I mean, he even... To open this match, he wants a handshake from Booker T, and Booker T is the one that slaps it away. So, um, yeah, Rick the Model Martel. It's a shame that it would all come to an end tonight. His big comeback would come to an end tonight. Um, a big back body drop and a clothesline from Booker takes Martel out to the floor. As they wrestle, 
Perry Saturn goes and sits in with the flock because the winner of this match, the winner of this match is a loser and has to wrestle again, basically. Yeah, you get in, you win this like, match, and then you have to win an, another match. On tonight, let me specify, they made that very clear later on tonight. Yes, I was pretty sure that it was not supposed to happen immediately after this match, but they had to change some things, and uh, the MVP of the two matches together has to be Perry Saturn because uh, if you had had some other contenders, say you got Scott Hall, say Scott Hall is lined up to be the next guy uh, of the two-parter match and you run back to Scott Hall and you say, there's been an injury. We need you to run out there. Do you think Scott Hall's going to be running out there and coming up with a game plan for a good match? No. Um, they well, were also really lucky because the flock sits at ringside. So he was right there. He was ready to go. Like they just really lucked out to have Perry Saturn right there, ready to go and and do what he did later on in the second match. So as they wrestle, Saturn goes and sits with the flock. Martell eats another clothesline. Heenan calls the flock the who's who of Skid Row. We get a spinning back kick that takes Martell down, a snapmare into a knee drop for a near fall from Booker. Martell eats a super kick that pops the crowd for a near fall, as the crowd loved everything Booker T did. Martell gets thrown corner to corner, and this is where the injury to Martell happens, as Booker took one extra step out of the corner, and Hip tosses Martell into the ropes, and his leg just snaps off the rope. Martell's leg hits it. He tore a ligament in his knee, fractured his leg, and suffered cartilage damage. But kept wrestling in this match, to his credit. Like, he must have been in tremendous pain, but still put on a decent match. Yes, yes. A much better match than most of this card. With a yeah. fractured leg. Let yeah. me specify that. That speaks volumes to the credibility and the athleticism of Rick Martell. Well, and the, and I know you shouldn't look, if you're like concussed, you should not continue, you know, wrestling. A lot of people say, oh, look at the heart, look at the guts or whatever. This is a different kind of injury. So I really have to applaud him for his professionalism. And he's an old school guy. I mean, he's 42. He's been in multiple territories. He knows the importance of finishing the match instead of just waving it off. Because I think now a lot of guys would just wave it off and just say, I can't, I can't go on. And by continuing the match, he probably did more damage to himself. In fact, he did more damage to himself. I think he did suffer concussion at the end of the match. So, uh, you know, it wasn't exactly the smartest move, but I do have to applaud his guts for staying in there. And also for telling the ref and telling Booker T and working out a finish that, that when putting on just a good match, I just I'm so impressed by what he did here. And it's unfortunate that his career is basically ended by WCW's 16 foot ring, because in a WWF ring, that extra step, Martel's not going into the ropes. So that extra 20, yeah, that 20 by 20 makes huge. Just that extra four feet makes a huge difference. Yeah, so Booker gets thrown out of the ring and Martell goes after him. Martell brings Booker back into the ring and pummels him in the corner. Booker side suplexes Martell, does a spinner Rooney, hits a flying forearm, 
Martel counters a running Booker T with a power slam, locks in a chin lock, and this is where Mickey J and Martel explain to Booker that um, shit's gone wrong, we need to change all this, and now you're going over, and uh, we're going to have to improvise the finish to this match. Uh, Martel hits a spine buster to Booker T. Martel gets the Quebec crab. Booker gets the ropes. Martel tries a second rope clothesline. Seriously, on his bad leg, he went to the second rope. Uh, one of two times he would do this. Booker catches him and slams him for a near fall. Booker hits his full steam flying forearm, then a scissor kick to Martel, a big spine buster to Martel. Then Booker tries a crossbody off the top. Martel crawls out of the way, so Booker lands on his uh, face. Martel then tries an axe handle off the second rope, the second move he tries off the second rope, but this one would be his demise as he eats a Harlem sidekick that is sort of botched and just Booker destroys this man's face with the sidekick. One, two, three. Booker and, T has won the first match. So central and concussion central with that uh botched Harlem sidekick. Definitely. I mean this dude <laughs> and poor guy. Poor fucking guy, but a hell of a match to go out on and i say this is a career ender but he does have one more match in wcw and uh sort of in a weird twist of fate no hardy pun intended he he wrestles stevie ray in his final match on nitro gets injured again and then retires and since his retirement has been sort of quiet he's only done one or two shoot interviews doesn't do conventions appeared in the video game once but then not the next year um, just been pretty quiet. He he declined to be on Dark Side of the Ring to talk about um, some of the Canadian guys. So just okay. uh, very much, very, very much worthy of Hall of Fame Central, whether it is just the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame, Cauliflower Alley Club Hall of Fame, or the WWE Hall of Fame. He deserves all three of them. And that's not just his WCW, his WWF run. That is also back in his territory days, his, you know, AWA stuff. So former AWA champion, let's, let's clear that up too. So very, very worthy for being spotlighted uh, in the way that he should be. Yeah, was always a good worker. Uh, never uh, got elevated to a main event status even though i think he might have been on his way here in wcw had they in wcw kept a face champion like sting or like ddp or goldberg and they could have had a ton of great face versus face matchups and i think martel could have been one of them but this is wcw and that would take thinking and there was none of that to be had so uh saturn oh brother i'm not letting that happen of course not. Uh, Saturn, who was sitting ringside with the flock, I guess, was informed uh, during the match that, hey, man, uh, when this is over, you better run in there and figure something out. And that gave Saturn time to sit around and think about what he was going to do. And I thought he handled this extremely well with an extremely like smart game plan. Like a champ, he beat the shit out of Booker T outside the ring before... Technically, the bell and the match started. 
which gave them time to communicate to, you know, on the fly and say, hey, here's what we need to do. At least get us halfway into the match. At least get us somewhat of, of a game plan together since we're not going to get to figure this thing out because it wasn't even supposed to have been you. It was supposed to have been Rick Martell. So. <laughs> yeah, because the feud was that Saturn like threw Martell through some a window or like a mirror or something. So the feud was yeah. between those two. Yes, yes. Um, so uh, Saturn runs in the ring, immediately goes for the rings of Saturn, which I thought was brilliant. And yes, as you mentioned, allows him to communicate to Booker T, hey, um, you're going to pretty much just get your ass kicked this whole time. We're going to do a lot of rest holds, and uh, then you're going to win. And uh, we'll just figure it out as we go. So uh, he goes for the rings of Saturn, and then uh, the ref breaks it up because, hey, man, the match hasn't started yet. You can't do that. And then when the bell rings, he immediately goes for pen attempts. And Booker is probably really confused still as to what the fuck is happening. What is going on? I'm getting rolled up for pens. Uh, he, he does kick out at two every time. So at least he doesn't just get rolled up out of confusion and beaten quickly. Saturn is doing this, like I said, as smartly as he could. Booker, though, has uh, emptied his gas tank with Martell and... Uh, Boy, you could. He was not planning on winning, so of course his conditioning. He's he's going in there to wrestle one match, so he spent everything he had on Martell, and yeah. so now Saturn is basically working with this giant man who is just gassed out. And I mean, you even see Booker T slip a couple times, and uh, Saturn covers for him every time. And uh, so, yeah, kudos to Saturn here. Saturn takes Booker outside of the ring, throws him into the guardrail. Booker returns the favor. Saturn runs him down, smashes him in the back. Saturn just returned from a bad leg himself, so it's a story of bad legs in this match. You just had one caused, and you have one guy that's wearing a knee brace, so we're working with bad legs here. Booker and Saturn have a lot of chatting through this one, obviously. Booker catches Saturn trying to run in clothesline and slams him down instead. Saturn knocks Booker out of the ring again, hits a slingshot plancha, then a springboard splash to Booker off the apron. Booker hits a flying forearm to Saturn. Booker misses a maneuver to Saturn in the corner, and Saturn gets an ear fall off of it. Booker gets posted. Saturn hits a super belly to back suplex. Tony and Bobby thinks that this will be the shortest title reign ever. I guess they missed WrestleMania 9, despite Bobby Heenan being in attendance there as far as <laughs> short title runs. Uh, Booker stops a superplex attempt and missile drop kicks the shit out of Saturn. I mean, this was a stiff missile drop kick. Uh, he has no energy left to cover Saturn, so it was all for nothing. A spin wheel kick to Saturn when they get up. Saturn T-bone suplexes Booker so they can have another chat while they're down on the mat. Belly to belly from Saturn for a two count. Saturn hits a moonsault from the second rope, and Booker doesn't even attempt to catch him, so they both just splat onto the ring. Saturn does some blatant chokes to Booker again to have some more chats. Booker tries a crossbody off the top, and this is where he slips, which tells me, yeah, this dude is super gassed. And Saturn, though, covers this beautifully, because as he slips coming off the top rope, Saturn kind of halfway grabs him, and it looks like he slams him off the top, like a Ric Flair slam off the top, so... I thought that was really smart. Like, Saturn wrestled a really smart match here. A chin lock, and Tanae updates us and tells us uh, Martel's got a terrible injury. Saturn and Booker smash each other uh, with clothesline attempts. Then a power slam from Saturn. Saturn runs into a spine buster, a scissor kick. 
into a side suplex from Booker. Then Booker goes for the Harlem hangover, but he misses. A bridging Northern Lights nets a two-count for Saturn. A bridging German gets another two-count for Saturn. He tries another suplex. Booker hops out, and when I say hops out, Saturn sort of pushes him out. And then he hits a Harlem sidekick and gets the win, and the crowd gives Booker a rightly deserved standing ovation, although it might be, it should have been for Saturn as well. As if you were watching this in the crowd, you would have had no idea anything was booked incorrectly. And that, honestly, going with Booker as the winner, that's what should have been booked anyway. The way the crowd loved this guy, like, that's what should have been booked it to begin with. So WCW stumbled their way into a great opening two matches back to back. Like, um, these are going to be hard to top throughout the night. And there were some people that I thought had a, had a chance to maybe do better, but I think this is it. I think this is the, the best match of the night, honestly. So, uh, the two combined, I'm not going to separate one from the other. And, uh, like I said, you wouldn't have known anything was wrong with Martel, really. Other, he was oh. limping around a little bit. You wouldn't have known anything was wrong with him. And other than a lot of rest holds with Saturn, which Saturn's a heel. Heels use a lot of rest holds. You wouldn't have known anything was wrong with that either. So, no. Yeah, uh, it was. Perfect. Yes, yes. These three individuals to put on these two matches were 1,000% true professionals and gave everything they had out there to carry on and make a great two matches. For a TV title that generally no one gives a shit about. And that's yeah. what's funny about all this. This is for the TV title. Uh, the world title match wouldn't even feature an effort this this good. But the TV title, yeah, this is where we're going to spend all our energy um, so we go backstage to the internet, as, uh, Tony Schiavone calls it. Uh, it's actually just Mark Madden and Lee Marshall who are chatting with Chris Jericho on WCWWrestling.com. Chris Jericho doesn't even look at the two of them. He just looks at the camera and says he's going to beat Hoovy, take his mask, and he's still going to be the cruiserweight champion. Let's talk about this mask for a second. You can take it as cavalierly as you want. I happen to know that you would look upon taking that mask as the ultimate trophy for the Jericho trophy case. Well, tonight, all that matters is that I'm going to take the mask. Whether or not we want to see his face is regardless, but I'm still going to come out of this the Cruiserweight champion. Now, how do you follow those two great matches with Glenn Gilberti? And LaParca, as the chairman of WCW, is out to take on Disco Inferno. LaParca power slams Disco, Mox is dancing, Disco power slams him for two. LaParca takes Disco out of the ring, hits a corkscrew plancha for a guy LaParca's size is impressive. Uh, does that out on the ring mats. LaParca does his pose, his signature little dancing pose in the ring. As Disco recovers, LaParca snake eyes Disco on the guardrail and brings him back into the ring. Bobby says something about seeing some Salto moons, which Tony and Mike rib him about all through the match because Bobby knows nothing about Lucha Libre wrestling. Disco takes LaParca out of the ring and clotheslines him after whipping him into the guardrail. I'm sensing a pattern here. These guys do one sequence and then uh, take a break, and then the other guy does the exact same thing, except that Disco can't do the aerial stuff that LaParca can, but they're just doing the same shit. Uh, one after another. So Disco gets back into the ring and eats a nasty kick from LaParca to the back of the head. This was like a 
MMA style kick to the back of the head. A Mahi Straw Cradle gets a two count for Laparca to Disco Inferno. Laparca drop kicks Disco off the buckles for another two count. Laparca eats what I would call a Judas effect from Disco Inferno as Chris Jericho making notes in the back as it was a slow spinning elbow and uh, got a two count. Disco then gets kicked in the head again as he bent over for a back body drop. Disco gets Hurricane Rana out of the ring very slowly, obviously, by man Laparca, who is bigger than Disco Inferno, but wrestles in the cruiserweight division because, oh, he wears a mask. He must be a cruiserweight. A tope suicida from Laparca. And Tony says to Mike, I've never heard it called that before. And Bobby says, can I get that with chips and salsa? They get back into the ring and Disco blocks a few maneuvers from Laparca with big boots. Stomps a mud hole on Laparca. Atomic drop, leaping clothesline, all from Disco gets a two count. A swinging neck breaker to Laparca for another near fall. Scott Dickinson takes a ref bump as Disco inadvertently thumbed him in the eyes. This allows the chairman to get his chair. Instead of just waffling Disco with it, he sets it up in the ring. And Disco gets to take a seat. The ref turns around and still sells that he has blurry vision, which I thought was really stupid. Disco uh, then gets up as Leparco is climbing to the post, and he wants to superplex Leparco through the chair. I think when he got up there, Leparco said, fuck no, I'm not doing that, and instead gets slung face first into the chair, which was way shittier than uh, a superplex through the chair. Disco hits the Stone Cold Stunner, I mean, excuse me, the Chart Buster, one, two, three, and wins the match as um, this was a, a match between two people. I mean, I don't have much to say. I thought Laparca looked sort of impressive, but Disco Inferno uh, has never really impressed me, and uh, never will. So, actually, he did. He had Match of the Night on one of our reviews a few. Uh, Halloween Havoc 99, the opening match between him and Lash LaRue uh, is the one match that I liked him in. So... But that was in comparison to the other matches on the card. But in general, uh, I don't know why this match was on a pay-per-view other than to fill time because they needed to fill that Spicoli match, but they also added a Goldberg match. So uh, I guess they still needed to fill time. So what are your thoughts on Laparca and Disco Inferno? I think it was a good uh, a good match to try to follow Booker T and Saturn and, and Rick Martell. I think it, as for in-ring, I, I don't know if it delivered match quality, but entertainment-wise, I think it, it held its own. Mean Gene is with J.J. Dillon on the ramp. There's talk about giving Nick Patrick his job back. J.J. says he can come back. Good thing, because Nick Patrick is here, and he's in his ref gear. And I just thought, what a fool, J.J. Dillon. What a fucking idiot. I'd never fucking rehire this guy. Tony, thank you very much. Joining me at this time is the chairman of the WCW Executive Committee, J.J. Dillon. There has been talk back in the locker rooms, on the road, regarding the possible reinstatement of referee Nick Patrick. Now, I, I don't want to speculate on it. I wanted to bring you out. I know after Starcade, you suspended the man. You then gathered information. You've been investigating this man. And apparently, J.J., you have now come to a decision regarding the future of one Nick Patrick. Yes, the decision has been made. At this time, I would like to ask Nick Patrick to come out here and join us. Uh, he, he's been embroiled in controversy since Starcade. Uh, 
I have to say there's been a lot of trash talk. Nobody stepped forward to make any formal accusations. We reviewed the tape, the tapes. We didn't find really anything improper in there. And so uh, after a group of lawyers representing Mr. Patrick spent the greater part of the day with attorneys representing WCW and TBS, the executive committee met privately, took a vote, and I'm very pleased to announce, Mr. Patrick, that effective immediately you have been reinstated without any restrictions. I'm reinstated as of right now. Yeah! <laughs> How about that? I, I didn't expect it quite that soon. I'm Easy. I knew you guys would see the light. I knew you'd see the light, Mr. Dillon. And I want you to know that this is one of the happiest moments of my life. And I'm for all you fans out there that stuck behind me throughout this whole ordeal, and for my family out there watching, I'd like to take this opportunity to say that I am so glad that tonight, in tonight's main event, that I'm going to be able to vindicate my name in front of all of you people out here. I'm going to call this match right down the middle, just the way I see it. And if you want to clock my count, what? what? Excuse me, excuse me. Um, I, I appreciate the fact that you're excited to be reinstated. I'm sure you're going to have lots of opportunities to officiate main events, but though I said you were reinstated, I didn't say you're the official for the main event tonight. As a matter of fact, you're not the official selected to officiate tonight's main event. Good call. Thank you. Good call. Wait, now, wait a second. Now, wait a second. You heard him. You are not going to be the official for tonight. Your name was not drawn. If he reinstated me, that means that I am the head official of WCW once again. You're not going to call the match. As far as I'm concerned, they shouldn't even have to draw straws. And what? My back pay. What about my back pay? He never even mentioned my back pay. I'm going to talk. This isn't over. You had better get a hold of James Dillon yourself there, Nick Patrick, reinstated. And I guess that's good news, but not tonight, Mr. Patrick. Not tonight. Uh, Nick Patrick hugs J.J. Dillon and kisses Mean Gene on the cheek. He expects- I know, I know he- how much you love me some uh, Nick Patrick. Oh, yeah, he's my favorite. He expects to be refing the main event. J.J. says, uh, now you're rehired, but you won't be refing the main event. We'll see about that, J.J. Nick is upset, and he wants his back pay as well, and he storms off. Brad Armstrong is out next, wearing an Armstrong Curse airbrush shirt. So it's definitely 1998. He's the latest offering for Bill Goldberg, who, uh, as I mentioned, this match was just added to uh, fill time. Armstrong is just here to get ragdolled. Yeah, and he was offered up on multiple occasions to Goldberg. Uh, one of the true professionals, a lot like uh, Hugh Morris and Steve Regal. I think uh, Glacier did a few jobs to uh, Goldberg. Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't one-off. It was, okay, he can carry Goldberg through this match, so let's send him out there again. Uh, well, I don't think uh, anything could help Goldberg in this match because he <laughs> this, this really rough. stunk in the few things that he tried. Uh <laughs> Goldberg fucks up the leg lock that, you know, that roll into a leg lock that he would eventually get decent at. I'm not going to say he never improved, but uh, Armstrong gets tangled up in the ropes. Uh, Goldberg does do his cool press slam where he presses him and then drops him on the shoulder and slams him. Uh, we get a belly to belly, which looked like shit. Then Armstrong finally gets some strikes in, does his vicious Russian leg sweep. Goldberg just no sells it, gets right up. Then, uh, this was actually a cool move, even though I think it was a botch as well. A release pump handle throw, which is seems extremely dangerous, but uh, cool to see. I can't say I've ever seen it since, but that was pretty cool. 
then he hits the spear jackhammer one-handed goldberg gets the win um of course he gets the win. It's 1998. Do I really? I mean, until December, I can pretty much uh, tell you every outcome of every Goldberg match. So the uh, yeah, it's a Goldberg match. I, I don't think it really needs any commentary. They I think we need to we need to go back to our over under on Goldberg matches before we start uh, watching the match. For those of you who don't understand or get that joke. Um, me and Alex, before we started doing the uh, the podcast here, we would hang out and watch some old nitros and things like that. And we did over under on how much, uh, how many moves was Goldberg going to do before the match was over. And, you know, sometimes I was going like four, sometimes he was going like eight or six, and we were pretty spot on with it. So, uh, I think this one would have carried its load as well. Yeah, well, he he did uh, more moves than I expected to see him do, and he certainly did more moves than he's done in his last few appearances in the WWE. So, um, yes, yes, because the last few have been two every single time. So, uh, yeah, uh, the cruiserweight title match is next. Hoovy is putting his mask on the line. Uh, he's the only cruiserweight with a mask, the only luchador that I can think of that actually sort of benefited from losing his mask. So, um, this wasn't, this wasn't something like as bad as Rey Mysterio. This was something that I think Hoovy probably wanted to do. Uh, Chris Jericho certainly is a guy that respects, uh, Mexican luchadors and that heritage. It's not Kevin Nash just being Kevin Nash. This was probably agreed to uh, between Jericho and Hoovy. So, well, sorry to spoil the ending, but I think if you've watched any WCW, you know that Hoovy doesn't stay in his mask his whole career. Jericho comes out and wants to wrestle with the belt on, which I think is a great gimmick, and someone needs to try that again. Just, I never want to take my belt off, no matter what. And, and you have videos of them like going to the grocery store or going to uh, you know, the, the drive-thru, and they've got their belt on. I just I, I want someone to always have the belt on at all times. Um, Bobby says the belt is his binky, which Tony says we've had a binky reference tonight. Mickey J wants the belt off of Jericho, but he lets him start the match with the belt on. Ref Patrick Young, you you got to get that belt off the guy. Well, I mean, I'm not gonna look at Jericho and say here give it to me. I'm just gonna be like, okay, well, you want to do it, do it. <laughs> Well, yeah, you would see how it would turn out for Jericho in a, in a few minutes. A big chop from Jericho and Hoovy kicks him right in the belt, which leads Jericho to say, uh, maybe you can have this belt. So uh, not such a good idea. A spinning heel kick takes Jericho down. Jericho gets Hoovy up and goes back for another chop. A head scissors from Hoovy. A springboard heel kick. He hits a flying Hurricane Rana that takes Jericho off the apron down to the floor. Jericho then plays possum on the outside and wants to get a count out so he can keep the title and not uh, win the match. He doesn't give a shit about winning the match. He just wants to keep his belt. He doesn't care about the mask or the match. He just wants to keep his belt, which Bobby Heenan marks out for. He loves this. 
Hoovy finally goes out and elbow drops him to wake him up. They get back in the ring. Hoovy leaps out of a German suplex but gets thrown into the ropes by Jericho and rolls to the apron only to get drop kicked to the floor by Jericho. Jericho then uses the ring steps as a springboard, but Hoovy dodges and Jericho eats the guardrail. They return to the ring. Jericho catches Hoovy, tombstones him for a two count, a come on baby cover for a two count, a victory roll. Uh, from Hoovy only gets a two count. And Jericho pitches a fit when Hoovy doesn't submit to a chin lock, which is a great heel uh, cry. Jericho wants a superplex, but Hoovy shoves him down, leaps onto Jericho's shoulders, but Jericho just falls down from the electric chair position, which was an awesome counter. Jericho goes to the buckle, and Hoovy drop kicks him out of the ring. Air Hoovy hits a springboard elbow that, I mean, this guy must have sailed... He sailed clear past the ring mats into the aisleway to the waiting arms, thank goodness, of Chris Jericho, because if he didn't, it would have been uh, big trouble for Hoovy. But this dude flew. This was probably, uh, since Mysterio, I haven't seen anyone in WCW fly this far on an aerial attempt. Uh, he hits a modified Hoovy driver when he gets into the ring. Hits the 450 splash. One, two, three. Hoovy's the new champion. He keeps his mask. No, just, no, no. He does not. He does not. Just kidding. He, even though the, the bell rung. The bell. I did not call for the bell as a referee. <laughs> I did not call for the bell as a referee because at two and a half, there was a hand on the rope. That's right. Mickey J saw the hand on the ropes, and so Hoovy is like, what the fuck, man? I just won. I heard the bell. Everything. Jericho, not wasting any time, immediately chop blocks Hoovy. He tries a powerbomb, but Hoovy reverses it into a DDT for another near fall. Hoovy springboard Hurricane Rana's Jericho into the ring, off the ropes. We get an inverted vertical suplex from Jericho. He misses the lion salt. He tries a lion tamer, but Hoovy counters. Tries a hurricane rana in the middle of the ring, but uh-oh. Jericho just catches him in the dead center of the ring and puts on a nasty-looking lion tamer. And Jericho gets the win as Hoovy cries uncle. Or, I guess in this case, dad. Because I'm going to lose my mask, dad. Jericho gets the mic and brags that he did it. He dedicates the win to all the Jericho-holics and then just says, take your mask off, bro. And, uh... Ladies and gentlemen, I did it! I really, really did it! Thanks to all you Jericho-holics, I'm still the champ! And I dedicate this win to all of you lovable, happy Jericho-holics. Hey, Hoovy, you're forgetting something. Come on, Hoovy. Take off your mask, bro. Can it be something if it was Oakland under there? Let's see what you got there, quasi-juice. I, I don't think... I don't think the issue Come here on, quasi forever. is what he looks like or who it is. The Ladies fact and gentlemen, is that he's unmasked please, is the issue here. If you have a weak heart or if you get sick easily, please you. close your eyes or leave the building now because this guy is ugly. Take that mic away, mic away from him. You don't have to stay. You can leave if you want. You know how hard this has Come to on, be for quasi. moving to to have to do this? Come on. 
This is taking far too long here. Hey, we're talking about tradition and heritage here. And he just rips it off his face. And our first look ever at the face of Juventud Guerrera, the man under the mask. Has to be very difficult for Juventud Guerrera at this point. Do it, says, do it, do it. Hoovy says to the camera, well, I mean, uh, Jericho does call him Quasimodo, so uh, I guess he thought he would be ugly or something. Hoovy says, I love you to the camera, I guess, a nod to his dad as he removes his mask and he takes it off. And oh, my goodness, he's a good looking guy. <laughs> I don't know what to say. There's nothing. It's not like uh, psychosis where it's like, ooh, you probably should have kept that mask on, buddy, or Rey Mysterio, where it's like, yeah, you look fine, but you you look 12. Um, <laughs> he's a heartthrob looking dude. I'm going to say, I mean, he's 21 years old. He looks, uh, they would turn him into, um, they would shoot uh, videos of him like sitting on stairs to like look like Antonio Banderas and stuff. So, uh, he was fine. And they, then they actually started letting Hoovy speak because, you know, when you had a mask on outside of the few times they let Ray speak, uh, Hoovy got to develop a character, Hoovy Juice. He would play because The Rock made fun of him. So he got to uh, make fun of The Rock, if you could call it that. So Hoovy got a I'm, character out of this. I'm not going to lie. Around this time, 97, 98, I would have actually liked to have seen Hoovy against The Rock. That yeah, was yeah. entertaining. <laughs> it all stems from like one line The Rock said where he was like, who the who in the blue hell is Hooventood? So uh, uh, that was it. That was all it took for Hoovy to get a character. And uh, so losing the mask actually propelled him into having some sort of character. Uh, it would all come crashing down for Hoovy in the WCW when he would... Uh, get kicked out for methamphetamine usage, uh, but uh, he had uh, a decent run for a little while. Uh, really? I did not know that he... So in October 2000, during a WCW tour of Australia, see, actually, uh, th that was one thing in 2000 WCW did wisely. They did this tour of Australia, and they actually made some money while they were down there because... Australia doesn't get a lot of wrestling. As you know, the WWE ran that Super Showdown card there uh, a couple years ago, and that's been pretty much it. Uh, they don't get a lot of big shows, and so they did a few a few weeks of taping. I think they did two or three weeks of taping in Australia uh, in October of 2000, which was smart for a company that was pissing money away like WCW. Guerrero, well, he went to his hotel, and the wrestlers were all staying there. And uh, there was an incident where he was discovered naked and screaming in the hallway. And then the police officers arrived to say, what the fuck's going on? And he started attacking them. According to the 2004 book, The Death of WCW, Guerrera was reportedly under the influence of, sorry, it wasn't meth. It was PCP at the time. Guerrera was expelled from the remainder of the tour and released by WCW and got off easy in Australia and only had to pay $1,800 in fines. So... That was the end of Hoovy in uh, WCW. But uh, by 2000, and in October of 2000, it's not like the company's going anywhere anyway. So if there's ever a good time to get fired from a company, it's probably October of 2000 in WCW. But yeah, that was uh, that was Hoovy. 
like I said, this is the only time that losing a mask really didn't hurt a luchador in WCW. I think everyone else that lost their mask kind of sucked. The replay showed Jericho grabbed the rope before the three, so uh, it was a clean win, technically, for Jericho. He didn't, you know, use a chair. He didn't use nusks. He didn't use the ropes as leverage. He beat him clean in the middle of the ring, so a clean win for Jericho. It was... I kind of question why they did that false finish anyway, you know, um, other than to see the 450. And I guess they needed a way out of, well, you can't take the 450 and then keep going, I guess. But, um, yeah, I thought this was a pretty good match. Probably my second favorite match on the card. What did you think? Uh, yes, very, very well done. Uh, highly, highly enjoyed well up next is actually my favorite match on the card forget the opening match forget the last match even forget disco inferno because mongo mcmichael is out next uh my eyes lit up when i saw mongo's beautiful face walking down the aisle way and he's taking on the british bulldog and i said to myself this should be brutal uh these two should just i mean this is gonna be a fucking mess and I was halfway right. Big right hands from Bulldog. Mongo does a spinning slam thing. It looked like he was trying a tombstone, but he kept spinning Bulldog around and he just dropped him. I still wonder to this day why Mongo never wore bear's colors because that's what he was famous for, but he always wore black and white. Why not just wear the colors of the bears? I never understood that. Everyone in WCW wore black or denim or gray. I just don't understand why you can't have color. That's why Rey Mysterio stood out so much because... Everyone else is wearing pretty much the same shit. Um, So Mongo misses a leg drop, which looked like shit, and Bulldog works over his legs, and then Bulldog, my jaw almost hit the floor, as Bulldog goes for a sharpshooter. (laughs) A sharpshooter from the British Bulldog. He goes for it, and actually it doesn't look that bad. He does a pretty good job, considering he's working with Mongo's giant uh, stumps of legs. And uh, Mongo crawls to the ropes. Bulldog gets sent to the outside. They brawl some more. Bulldog gets sent into the guardrail and steps. And then this is where Mongo just has to be Mongo, my friend. So the spot was to be that Bulldog is up against the post and that he's going to duck a Mongo punch. Well, Mongo decided to go full speed with his punch to that post and so when Bulldog moves out of the way, he smashed his forearm into the post and legit broke his arm. So now Bulldog has to work over his arm the rest of the match because he is fucked. Um, he gets flung into the buckle and does a flip for some reason when they get back into the ring. Bulldog does. I don't know what that was supposed to be. Mongo, He's down to half strength because one of his guns has been taken out. So he does two very weak-looking three-point stance, um, whatever they're called, uh, drives. He tries a tombstone, but the wrist gives out. Bulldog then puts him in a wrist lock in the in the middle of the ring. Uh, Mongo is clearly saying, no, I don't give up. I don't give up. And then the ref just calls for the bell, even though Mongo never submitted because I think Mongo might have whispered, my arm's fucking broken, please ring the bell. So uh, this match uh, had no chance of being good. 
uh, it delivered on every front, even with the injury. Um, I would have loved, I am very upset that I didn't get to see Bulldog try to lift Mongo up for the running power slam, but uh, it was not to be. Uh, after the match, Mongo shoves the ref in anger because I never quit. I never quit. So we have the uh, Cow Palace screw job here, is what we're, we're being implied happened. But it was because Mongo fucked up. And uh, what did you think of Mongo and Bulldog? Uh, yeah. Let's just move forward. <laughs> this was a this was this was a cluster of a mess. Just flat out a cluster of a mess. Chris Benoit is out next to take on Diamond Dallas Page, so we've got Horseman back to back here. This is for the U.S. belt. DDP rocking his jeans and his back brace that he used to cover with ace bandages, but I guess since. Luger was going to be wearing ace bandages later. He said, ah, you know, he can't wear your ace bandages tonight. So uh, his back brace is exposed uh, as not being just taped ribs. Face versus face, so they shake hands before the match. Benoit and Paige counter each other's arm bars. Paige hits a gut buster to Benoit. Benoit goes for the cross face. Paige gets the ropes. Paige regroups. They do a test of strength in the ring. Benoit bridges back, traps DDP in a cover. They roll into each other's covers. He delivers some nasty chops to DDP. DDP tries a diamond cutter, but Benoit bails to the outside. He has it well scouted. He comes back into the ring. They start slapping each other. It turns into a brawl momentarily. Robinson, Charles Robinson, has to break them up as DDP takes a big right hand from Benoit right as Robinson gets between them. DDP hits a nasty lifted German suplex for a near fall, which I was surprised, but... Benoit gave him a lot of help. Benoit takes DDP's knees out with a chop block, another chop block in this night of chop blocks. Chin lock forever from Benoit to DDP. DDP hits a jawbreaker to escape. Benoit stomps DDP down in the corner. A snap suplex gets a quick cover from Benoit for a two. Goes for another chin lock. DDP tries to escape, eventually does, by dumping Benoit out of the ring head first. Scary. Benoit gets posted on the buckle. DDP superplexes him. Then he hits a tornado clothesline, as he calls it, for a near fall. Benoit shoves a diamond cutter attempt away, so he's dodged it a second time. Page leaps off the top with a forearm for a two count, where DDP sailed across the ring like he was Juventud Guerrera here with a forearm, and it nets him a two count. A crippler crossface, and DDP gets a leg on the ropes. DDP belly to belly for a two and two thirds count, as I thought the crowd bit on this finish, but I didn't. Triple Germans to DDP with a bridge for a near fall that the crowd really bit on because the Triple Germans were relatively new to Benoit's arsenal, so uh, they thought there's no way DDP's kicking out of that, but he did. DDP hits a desperation DDT to Benoit for a two count. Benoit ducks another diamond cutter, so make that three. Tries a backslide, flips out of the backslide attempt to try something else, but the fourth time is not the charm as he finally eats the diamond cutter and DDP wins the match. DDP leaves through the crowd to celebrate as he usually did. The people's champ keeps the U.S. belt. This was a good match as far as Benoit was concerned because he did a lot of the work, a lot of the heavy lifting. DDP, just not a technical wrestler. That's not what he's good at. He's a brawler. And so this is a clash of styles not a Styles clash. And so I thought that um, 
it showed off Benoit very positively. It sucks that Benoit had to lose again because every time Benoit is given opportunity in this company, he loses. Don't know where Brett is in, in February of 98 because you would think they just signed this guy to a huge deal. Uh, he was the hottest thing coming off Survivor Series. He fought Flair in January. Don't know where he was in February. And so I would have liked to have seen... Benoit paired up with Bret Hart, even though they would go to that match several times. But I just like to see when you're a technical wrestler, I like to see technical wrestlers take on technical wrestlers and brawlers take on brawlers. Unless you're skilled like Bret Hart is at at, at arranging a match, which I don't think Benoit ever was as far as making his opponent look good. Um, Benoit always looked good, but... Like uh, last week when we did WrestleMania 8, it's weird that we're doing 8s back-to-back. We're doing WrestleMania 8 and Super Brawl 8. That's another weird connection here. Um, But Bret Hart always made brawlers look good, and that's something Benoit is not good at. So uh, I think that's what this match suffered from. What did you think of Benoit and DDP? I like this match. I think it did very well. I uh, I enjoyed it. Definitely a worth watching match for sure. Now earlier in the night, we were promised comments from the giant about his injury. It sold out, and the commentators talk about it for a while. Then they toss to a video of it, which is in slow mo and black and white, and has no narration. So I just fast forwarded through this. The giant never commented on this. He never showed up at all. So this was a bait and switch. Though I don't think anyone bought this pay-per-view to hear the Giant talk about almost having his neck broken. So this was weird uh, to include on a pay-per-view. Again, this is stuff you put on your TV. And this is something WCW didn't do well as far as, you know what would have helped that Jericho match? You know, a little promo package before then, talking about... Uh, Jericho in the belt, wearing it everywhere he goes and talking and Hoovy saying, I'll put it, my mask on the line or maybe a little recap of the Rick Martel feud with Saturn and Booker T losing the belt to Martel, though, establishing videos, things that get you that remind you of why people are fighting. And WCW never did that well. And here you have them spending time on a video about a guy that got injured at last month's pay-per-view that isn't even on the card tonight and has no narration. And so it's weird what they would choose to play a video about. And it's just something they never did well. WWF always did that better. Or the stuff with Macho Man. Uh, Like, why don't you show that clip from Thunder with him talking to Lex Luger? Why don't you show more of the dissension between him and Hogan? Like, to assume that everybody is watching every second of wrestling is a bit absurd like even i mean at this time people were watching a lot more wrestling so you probably would have been more up on it but i'm not talking about spending five minutes on it i'm talking about spending one minute with a a few clips put together to to just give you some context as to why people are fighting or why why does lex luger have taped ribs oh it was an attack really well why didn't you show me that so um yeah that's something that kind of pisses me off about WCW. Though, by not doing that, they get a lot more matches in on their show. Though that's not always a good thing, because you might get a match like Mongo McMichael and Bulldog. So, um, it comes with good and bad. So Up next, Macho Man is out to face Lex Luger. 
uh, Macho Man comes out with Liz, so this is weird because <laughs> Liz would end up with Lex Luger. So this is a weird kind of my ex-wife with your future almost wife. This is okay. Anyway, Luger is out with rib tape. Bobby says, why would you walk out with a giant target on you like a rib tape? But he didn't mention this for DDP's back brace or Saturn's knee brace or anything. I mean, using that logic, you should never wear elbow pads or anything else, like because obviously you're those are targets. So basically, Bobby wants you to wrestle naked. I think that's what he wants. Um, I noticed Lodi has a sign that says Benoit. We knew you'd lose. I don't know. Uh, I guess Lodi had a copy of the booking sheet for the night. Luger tries a press slam, but his ribs give out, so he can't do it. Uh, Macho Man just kicks at Luger's ribs. This is his whole strategy for this entire match, is just, I am going to attack your ribs. Shoulder blocks, axe handles. Luger tries an inside cradle, and it's the one thing he's done thus far in the entire match. Luger then gets taken out of the ring. Macho just keeps the attack going on the ribs. The commentators say Macho is distracted, he looks pretty fucking focused to me. He seems to have a game plan. <laughs> I don't know what... This is the problem with Macho Man and any kind of deep-thinking storyline with, like, levels and layers of context is because when Macho Man is out there, he goes into wrestling mode. He does not remember storylines or emotion or storytelling. He just goes into Macho Man mode. And so... Uh, he doesn't look distracted. He doesn't look like he's Lex Luger's friend. He looks like he's just out to win a wrestling match. As much as the commentators want to get it over, it's it's not happening. Luger gets tossed into the cameraman, and they brawl into the WCW universe, as this is a no-DQ match, which they seem to have failed to mention until about halfway through this match. A chair to the ribs, Mickey J., is uh, fine with all this because, uh, like I said, it's an ODQ match, even though I didn't realize that until just now. Doug Dillinger finally makes Macho Man get over the guardrail after he tosses Luger back over, which is hilarious that Macho Man bows down to Doug Dillinger. They get into the ring. Luger finally hits a snap suplex because, you see, Patrick, the adrenaline finally started flowing, and it overcame his injured ribs. He hits a snap suplex and a power slam, and suddenly Luger looks like the Luger of old. Luger goes for the torture rack, but Liz runs in and racks the face, racks the eyes of Lex Luger, so she's going to cheat for her man, which is something that Liz really never did in her career, and even Bobby points that out. Then the NWO run out, and instead of letting them just beat down Lex Luger, Macho brawls with them, so more dissension. Now... The camera and Craig Leathers, the director of WCW programming, fuck this up entirely for me because instead of focusing still on the ring, uh, they focus on Hulk Hogan, who came down to pull the NWO back and say, oh, let him get beat. Let him get beat. He sucks. And so while this is happening, Luger racks Macho Man. Macho Man submits. Macho Man submits to the torture rack by Lex Luger, but the camera misses it because we're focused on Hulk Hogan saying, I'm glad he got beat. I'm glad he got beat. And uh, then we see a replay of what actually happened, but thanks for fucking up the finish, uh, Craig Leathers. So. Members of the NWO coming out! And Luger, both of them are fighting him off. Luger and Savage. 
match battling through adversity through severe rib injuries and also we have seen the nwo we have seen them pull themselves away from savage before but never like we have seen here tonight yeah the dissension is there for the nwo and hey uh hulk hogan not a good idea when your title match is later on in the night to fuck over one of your nwo guys that's just a bad strategy i would think to say i'm gonna screw over one of my teammates and uh, I'm going to fight later on, and we're going to see what happens. See if this comes back to haunt me in any way. So uh, that's what happened here. Um, this match was pretty one-dimensional. It was Macho Man's going to focus on Luger's ribs, and then the NWO is going to run out, and you're going to see that Macho Man doesn't want to be a part of it anymore. And the match itself, nothing to really say about the interim work but what did you think of macho man and lex luger macho did all he could do <laughs> it's uh that's about the best i got uh luger was another one with uh five moves of doom and if it wasn't that it was a puncher kick so Heel NWO Dusty Rhodes, which never made sense, brings out the Outsiders for their tag team title match. Hey, yo, survey time. One more for the good guys. You know the deal. Then the Steiner brothers are out next as they've been teasing. Again, this is another match that needs a little video package to show you that they've had some dissension. Scott has been a little upset with Rick and vice versa. And there's been some uh, splintering of the Steiner brothers because without it, uh, watching this with no context, it sort of comes out of nowhere what happens. But Scott did have a haircut, so I think that that's your that's your tell that he he cut his mullet off. They are the unified tag team champions, as the NWO had belts at one point, and then WCW made new belts and they combined them, so they had four belts for one tag team champion for some reason. But whatever. Rick starts against Scott Hall. Toothpick to the face, but he gets a forearm from Rick. A belly to belly to Hall. Corner punches to Hall. Released overhead belly to belly to Hall. And then Rick takes Nash out of the ring as well. The Steiners then do their signature pose where Rick gets on all fours like a dog because he's the dog faced gremlin. And then. Wait a minute. Wait, what? What just happened? Oh my God! He just double X handled Rick to the back of the neck. Big pop of pump, double underhook, suplexes Rick and knocks Ted DiBiase out. And then Dusty hits a running clothesline or a running forearm, so he takes out DiBiase even more. There you see the Steiners, one of their trademark poses in the ring, daring the opponent to get in. Rick and Scott 
I say to that power bomb question, yes. Oh, what did I just see? He, he double-axed on brother! What in the world did I just see? You gotta be kidding! I knew there was something wrong. I could smell it. He's no way! Scott Hall! This is... This is beyond cover! Oh, he's a DiBiase! DiBiase! Scott Steiner has snapped! Can you imagine the Steiner's family at home watching this? Can you imagine this? Dusty Rhodes just posted DiBiase into the steel! My God, what just happened? Look at this! cut the throat of his brother that's right his own family member. hall covers but rick kicks out he's not going out out without a fight rick tries to take on both outsiders on his own hall never makes a tag to nash nash gets uh, the easiest night of work here as he does nothing he tries uh, an outsider's edge hall does but he fails because rick is a burly man and uh if he doesn't help you you're not getting him up uh so hall hey if it doesn't work the first time, try, try again. So he gets it the second time, hits the Outsider's Edge. The Outsiders win their belts back, and Scott Steiner hands them the belts as we have the birth, the birth, the origin story of Big Papa Pump at Super Brawl 8 here. Um, so, yeah, this match was only for the angle. Uh, Rick put up a good fight, but uh, Rick is kind of stupid, though, because... Had Rick been paying attention to the last several weeks of TV, he would have seen that Scott was not happy and uh, would have expected a double cross. But uh, this would really suck for Rick Steiner as he would have to team up with random tag team partners. Eventually, I think he teamed with Kenny Chaos or, Ronnie, or Robbie Rage, one of those guys, and then really wouldn't get focused on again until he got his DFG run when he tried to be uh, the black-haired version of Big Papa Pump and then would eventually end up in the reformed Varsity Club. So Rick Steiner's career uh, was uh, spiraling out of control once Scott left the team, and that's unfortunate because... As you mention all the time, early on, and I felt this way early on, you felt like this even after this, where you like Rick more, but uh, early on in their tag team days, Rick was definitely the better Steiner brother, but uh, Scott, I think, eventually did surpass him, and Scott would turn into a good single star. I, I hate to say it, but he turned into a pretty big star, so... And uh, yeah, the the one man that that loved his Shonies is now without his Shonies. So I know, yeah, that's something we failed to mention at the news. I, I forgot to mention that. Yeah, the Shonies closed down. So, uh, R.I.P. to the Steiner brothers Shonies, as uh, the coronavirus put the final nail in the coffin. The restaurant business is very tough. Uh, but he used to have billboards on the interstate where you'd see Big Papa Pump next to the Shoney sign. So, and this was a Shoney's with a bar and stuff. He was he was trying to say. I mean, Shoney's had had been a declining brand for years. I don't know why I'm getting into Shoney's talk, but anyway, yeah, Scott Steiner in the last few years had been running a, a Shoney's, and uh, in the years since leaving wrestling, Rick Steiner had been on the school board and uh, got into the Shoney's with Scott and. Uh, they did have that one reunion in TNA where uh, Scott even hit a Frankensteiner, and uh, so there was so there was uh, 
one good where they fought. I think Team 3D was the match they had. I think we might have reviewed that match. I don't remember, but uh, so uh, so yeah, they did they did uh, reunite eventually, uh, but you know it was it was just a nostalgia run. So uh, hate it for Rick, but uh, I think. I'll take all the great moments we got with Big Papa Pump just being an asshole uh, over the years. I think it was worth it. I think it was worth it in the end. Up next, we get an ad for WCW Uncensored, which this ad is so bad that I have to include it. It's just the cheesiest voiceover. Uh, I wish I could include the video. I might post the video of it if I can download it to our Facebook page or something because... It's ridiculous. It's just the most ridiculous looking thing. And I mean, I mean, WCW Uncensored is their worst pay-per-view that they do every year. And uh, like I said, it's the one thing Russo did right was killing Uncensored. So. Giants, rulers, diamonds, flags, dogs, hearts, flyers, outsiders, madmen, stars, WCW, NWO, Live and only on pay-per-view. Uh, finally, it's time for our main event. Michael Buffer is out for the intros for the WCW Heavyweight title match. Hogan is out first, and then Sting gets his big entrance. Not from the ceiling, he just walks out the aisleway. Sting runs into the ring and immediately gets his ass kicked as he eats belt shots, weight belt shots from Hogan, which, why is this allowed? I don't know. Charles Robinson is the ref for this match, and he just lets it go. Sting can't even get his jacket off as he gets whooped. Hogan screams, who's the man, as he chokes Sting with it. Sting is just in a black singlet. No scorpion design on it at all. He looks pretty bad here. He Sting puts on a really bad match here. Sorry, this is a match where, for once, I can say Hogan was the better performer. Hogan chokes Sting with his jacket with Sting's jacket. Hogan then bashes Sting around the ring, goes into the ring to pose, then comes back out and just keeps on going. Sting never fires up here. A test of strength when they get in the ring. Hogan says, tell him who the man is, Sting. Tell him who the man is. Hogan even scoop slams Sting, drops some elbows. Sting finally wakes up, decides, hey, I'm in a wrestling match. I might as well try to wrestle. He throws some strikes and chops at Hogan, hits an inverted atomic drop, and then Sting takes Hogan's weight belt. So now Hogan gets whipped, which is good. I'm glad he finally got whipped by that fucking belt. Hogan tries to leave, which makes no sense, because if he left, he wouldn't win the belt. Sting, even less sense, runs out and gets him, <laughs> grabs him by the throat with Hogan's weight belt to bring him back. Stinger splash to Hogan on the guardrail misses as Hogan dodges it, so now Sting is back into selling mode. Corner punches to Sting and Hogan bites him. A Stinger splash, a Scorpion deathlock, but Hogan makes it to the ropes. Hogan pulls Charles Robinson in front of a Stinger splash, and that takes Charles Robinson out, which of course means Nick Patrick runs out to ref while Robinson is down. In fact, Robinson, uh, Nick Patrick cares so much about him, he kicks him out of the ring, basically. He shoves him out of the ring with his feet, which I thought was stupid. Uh, then he counts two for Hogan. 
which Hogan is pissed off, like, hey, man, you're supposed to be on my side. So then they start jawing about everything. Patrick threatens to throw Hogan out, which would have been an awesome way to finish this night, where Hogan just gets thrown out and DQ'd, and that's it. Everyone goes home. Hogan hits a belly-to-back for a near fall. Robinson is taken out uh, by the other refs, so he's done for the night. So Nick Patrick is here to stay. Sting bridges out of several covers from Hogan. Hogan takes Sting out of the ring, bashes him against the guardrail. Sting battles back, throws Hogan into the ring. Hogan, though, gets a sneaky low blow in, which Nick Patrick somehow missed. Sting hulks up, no-sells Hogan strikes, poses, rumbles his chest like Sting does. Stinger hits a Stinger splash, a second one. He hits a Scorpion death drop, but Hogan low blows Nick Patrick. So there's nobody to cover. The NWO run in, and Sting, he doesn't really need any help here. He's still Sting, and he can take out the entire NWO, except, notably, the Outsiders and newest NWO member, Scott Steiner, not a part of the NWO geeks that were going to get beat down. They they stayed back. Savage then runs in from behind and decks Hogan with, with something without Sting seeing it. We'll find out what it is in a second. Sting turns around... And a very unbabyfaced thing to do, but I guess he feels justified because the NWO constantly cheat. He just covers Hogan, who is knocked out. Nick Patrick wakes up, and since he's groggy, he actually does a normal count like a normal human being. One, two, three. Sting is the champion again with some fuckery, which makes no sense. Like, we saw how Starcade was. Why can't you just do a regular wrestling match where someone wins? Is that so hard? Is that is that just I mean it's just Hogan. It just it just it, it's all Hogan. Why can't he just lose like a normal person? It's not real. It's not real. It's you lose to win again another day. It's fine. You can lose. It's not the end of the world. You can lose clean. It's okay. So Sting finds what the illegal object was. It was spray paint. The thing that Hogan used the most over the years. Macho Man, I guess, found the the case of it and decked Hogan with it. And so Sting spray paints WCW on Hulk Hogan, which was sort of weak. And it should have been white spray paint because Hogan wears black trunks. So the W, the final W had to be a little smaller because Sting kind of fucked up the first W. J.J. Dillon then walks out, totally fine with how fucked up this finish was, as long as WCW got over. So WCW looked like a bunch of heels here. As he presents Sting with the title, we get a slow-mo replay of Sting's uh, and Macho Man's finish and Sting celebrating with with the title, even though this time he celebrates by himself, not Starcade 97, where everyone runs down to celebrate with him. This is just... Sting is like, okay, I got it back. Well, what's next? This match, I hate to say it, this match stunk. And I like Sting a lot, but Sting was stink in this match. Uh, He brought nothing to the table, and he is not a great technical wrestler. I love Sting to death, but he, though, is miles... I mean, light years ahead of Hogan as far as what he can do in the ring. And he just didn't bring anything tonight. He brought nothing. I guess he knew what the finish was and just said, fuck it, why even bother? Um, But 
very disappointed in this main event. I expected way more, especially being the rematch to their biggest pay-per-view ever. So what did you think of this match? It wasn't the best that they've had. Um, it wasn't the best that they were capable of doing either, really. It didn't deliver. And what did you think of this pay-per-view overall? Super Brawl 8 from 1998. Not a bad pay-per-view at all. I uh, enjoyed most of it completely. Yeah, I thought for the standards of WCW pay-per-views, I think that you could get through this one pretty easily. That, Like I said, the opening match with Booker T and Martell and then Booker T and Saturn were, was just an awesome. Uh, it took almost 30 minutes, uh, those two matches, and I thought they were the matches of the night. And then the jericho Hoovy match was pretty good. Uh, you could cut Bulldog and McMichael. DDP and Chris Benoit was okay, but... Like I said, they're just not compatible. Uh, Lex Luger and Savage, I had no time for that. The Outsiders and Steiner Brothers was for an angle. And Sting and Hogan just didn't live up to the billing. Uh, So uh, just another WCW card where the undercard, you get through match number five, and you could probably turn it off and be satisfied that you saw a pretty good show. Um, but given that, uh, given that half the card was good and half the card was, yeah, so, so I've got to give it a thumbs up. I got to give it a, give it a good grade. So, um, it was a million times better than no way out of Texas. So as far as head to head, who had the better show in February 98, it's not even close. Uh, WCW blew them away for super brawl eight. So, uh, next month for WCW uh, would be Uncensored, as I mentioned, and that would feature Hogan and Randy Savage, of course, in a steel cage. And Sting, somehow, Scott Hall becomes, oh, this is the number one contendership he won from World War Three, I think, finally getting cashed in. And he would be the number one contender for Sting's title next month. So, uh yeah, that's what they had going on in March of 98. In March of 98 in the WWF, uh, has to be WrestleMania, I think. Yeah, unfortunately for the WCW, March 98 was also WrestleMania 14, where Austin um, turned the tide of the war and uh, they never looked back. <laughs> so, uh, Yeah, like I said, this is sort of WCW's last hurrah before the tide turns. Now, that's not to say that it was an overnight changing of the guard. Wrestling was still hot uh, throughout 98. It wasn't really until 99 when WCW really fell off the rails. But uh, that's one reason I wanted to watch the Super Brawl 8, to see one last last hurrah before... um, the uh, the tide turns, so to speak. So, on our rating scale of Hornswoggle to Giant Gonzalez, what do you give Super Brawl 8? A DDP. I am going to go a little bit higher. I'm going to go Scott Hall. Uh, when he tried to lift Rick Steiner, was a little unbalanced. This pay-per-view was a little unbalanced, but overall, it was still pretty good. And that is Super Brawl 8. That's our review for this week, which I will have turned around in record time, believe it or not. So, even though last week's I turned around, we recorded Wednesday, I got it turned around by Friday. We're recording this on the 8th, which is a Saturday. It might be out on the 9th on Sunday. So 
Uh, record turnaround time is what I'm aiming for. Famous last words. You'll probably hear this on the 12th. Uh, but uh, it's your pick, Patrick. What do you want to watch in the retro wrestling podcast world for next week? Well, in uh, a nod to the possibility of a jail sentence for the one and only Marty Janetti. We are going to go to Monday Night Raw, March 14th, 2005, where for one night and one night only, we see the Rockers reunion. Great. I'm glad you picked a Raw because those are quick. Thank you. So March 5th, 2005, is that correct? March 14th. March 14th. Okay, well, this is recorded, so I can always go back and I don't know why I'm asking you. It's on tape. Not on tape. It's on a file. People don't know what tape is, by the way. So, when I, uh, a funny story. So, I, when I got into the media business, uh, when you say you're recording something, uh, it's a very old school term. You say, are you rolling? Are you rolling? Are you recording? Because you would have to, in the, in the olden days, roll tape. Hit record on a tape and so one of my very first things that happened when i went to the last tv station i worked for uh this guy wanted to record something in the studio to air later on that night and i asked him i said is anybody rolling on this and he says to me and i mean he's probably only six or seven years younger than me and he says what does that mean rolling on this what does that mean do you mean start and ingest, which is actually the, if you're working on a computer, you're ingesting a file. So, yeah, he didn't know what to roll on means. So no one knows what tape is, basically, is what I'm getting at. Well, you're old. Uh, yeah, you very much know what tape is, because I think in your house uh, you have uh, probably uh, 45,000 VHS tapes. I do, uh, somewhere. Yes. Uh, yeah. You probably need to... to get those converted well you can go to powerslam.tv use the promo code retro wrestling and get a month for free and get all the content there you can also check us out at retro wrestling podcast.com and on twitter at retro w podcast where can they find you patrick uh ref patrick young on twitter patrick young on facebook or patrick young wrestling whichever one pulls up first i'm always available in sending me a message uh, always available to answer questions on our facebook page all right well that'll do it for this week i'm intern alex i am the one and only the greatest referee in professional wrestling history patrick young saying as always my clothesline's a clothesline and bingo bango